Amazing, amazing sound that comes out of this microphone. Uh, you know that chorus um, is pretty, pretty profound. Um, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. If you chew on that for a little while, um, it's uh, I don't know. It's, no wonder that is a hymn that has stood the test of time. There's probably a lot of songs that we sing nowadays and are written nowadays that they won't sing for long because we like new stuff and cool stuff and we get tired of songs after like three months and whatever. But that one's been around and that one's going to stay around. And um, him paying everything when he said it is finished, he was basically saying there's nothing left, nothing else is owed. I've done what was asked of me. And then the Father, by raising him from the dead, is saying, yes, absolutely. And then our response, so Jesus paid it all, and then the, all to him I owe. Um, very profound. And... Um, it definitely fits in with where we're going to go tonight during this time. If you have a, a Bible with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's okay. We're going to put the, the verses up on the board, and uh, on the board, like I'm a teacher. Uh, on the screen, as I move into modern society, um, we're going to put the verses up there and stuff. And we're just going to kind of walk through... I said it. Um, we're going to walk through uh, these scriptures, you know, kind of, kind of slowly tonight. Um, if you're here for the first time, um, sometimes I come up and I have kind of an, an organized, you know, three bullet point deal, and sometimes we just kind of walk through and point out stuff as we go. And so, um, uh, it's, I just kind of, it's just kind of however things get worked out. And so tonight's going to be one of those nights where we're just going to walk through it and. And, and pull out some concepts and stuff like that. Um, uh, Ephesians is a, is a letter that was written uh, to a, a church in Ephesus by Paul, who was a missionary who would go in and he would um, establish a church. He would take the Christians that were there and the, those who were, um, who were, were ready for uh, leadership in that community and stuff, and he would, would train the leaders and he would get them ready and then whenever they were ready to take over things, he would, would roll out to another city, and he would do the same thing, helping to build and establish churches and stuff. And so this is a letter that, that he's written back to them, um, just kind of touching base, uh, kind of letting them know the, the things he's been praying, the things that he's been hearing about what's going on there, stuff like that. And so we're going to look at one of, uh, one of his prayers, and he's telling them, like, these are the things I've been praying for you. And... Um, we're going to kind of talk about how the resurrection fits into this. Um, this, is, this has been a, a really different kind of week for me. Um, typically, we, um, we go with the LSU BCM to Mexico uh, over spring break, 
And so um, it's been a couple of years since I've been in town during Holy Week or Passion Week, you know, whatever you want to call it. And um, uh, because the BCM did not go this year. And so um, it's, it was really cool to kind of be around. And, um, you know, we put on our website kind of the events of each day and to kind of follow that progression of, of Jesus' last week leading up to his crucifixion and stuff. And um, on uh, Friday, just to think about, uh, we, you know, we can kind of ballpark uh, times of day and, and stuff like that and to know about what time he was arrested and then when his trials began and when he was crucified and when uh, everything went dark and then when he died and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then Friday night, uh, we had the, the chapel was open um, just for a time for people to come in if they wanted to come in and, and pray and to reflect and to, to read scripture. And we kind of had a little guide if you needed some structure and stuff. And um, we, uh, I just kind of sat at the piano and there's kind of music going the whole time. And um, it was really... Um, really different just for me personally um it's been it's been a while since i since i've led worship or whatever and like just got completely choked up during a song like um and uh, it's not because i'm like all rugged manly and stuff and that's all a side part you know whatever um but it just it just hasn't happened in a while and i think um having a, a week where uh I did my best to like intentionally think about those things as the week was going on, and I had uh, reminders that were coming my way from people, and you see people put stuff on Facebook and on Twitter and on just different things, and, and I really think that going into Friday, I mean, that time of just really thinking about it, and you start to, to focus in on the, the physical suffering and, him, and Jesus, um, the wrath of God uh, against sin being poured on him because all the sin was put on him, and him being a substitute for us, and and how God required uh, blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. That was the, the way that God set it up. And so they used to, they would take animals, and the animals would be sacrificed, and the, um, the, the people, they would, they would uh, put their hand on the head of the animal, and that was a way of transferring their guilt to the animal. And then the animal became guilty, and then they would slit the animal's throat, and, and the animal's blood would, would, that's what would atone for their sins and stuff. And, um, the fact that, that Jesus then became that substitute and, uh, you know, his blood being shed was a different kind of blood. Um, the blood of a goat is only going to last for a little while. The blood of the Son of God is going to last forever. And um, so th- focusing on that physical suffering, it just, it just got to me at one point, especially toward the end. And it was, uh, we did Victory in Jesus, which has always been my favorite hymn. And I'd but we did it kind of, I did it kind of slow or whatever, and that got to me. I was like, okay, regain your, regain your composure. And then I did the old rugged cross, and it got me, you know. It just, oh, and um, it was just, just amazing. And then um, you know, yesterday we had the Easter egg hunt, which it was not a part of Holy Week, in case you were wondering. Um, they did not hunt Easter eggs on the Saturday. Uh, but that was cool because we just had, like, all these people come and all these kids, and we just kind of hung out, and everything was just laid back, and God gave us this beautiful gift of, of uh, sunshine, and it was it was perfect. I mean, on Thursday, we're trying to figure out what are we going to do? It's going to rain on Saturday. Where are we going to go? And you know, maybe we can hide eggs in the chapel. Maybe kids will think that's cool. No, they wouldn't. Um, and so God gave us gave us that as a gift, you know. And then coming into today, uh, it made me think when I was when I was in Israel, uh, you know, we're it, it didn't rain on us until the first day we got to Jerusalem. And that's where, I mean, that's where you want it to go, you know, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get to Jerusalem. I mean, you know, 
Everywhere else was awesome, and Galilee was really great, but like, I was like, I, just, I want to get to the city. You know, I want to get to Zion, you know, my Old Testament, you know, Psalms, whatever was coming out in me. I was like, I want to go to the city, you know. And uh, we get there, and it's like 40 degrees, and it's pouring down rain. And yet we still sat, you know, and were taught things, and it sat in the rain. You know, we just went and did whatever. And uh, but it was funny because our guide, he was telling us how, he's like, you guys are all bummed out because it's raining. He said, but in, in Israel, when it rains... They see it like that is what they pray for. That's what they beg God for. And when it rains, they see it as, as God blessing them and his favor coming down. Because when it rains, all the rain, it runs down the mountains and it, and it waters all the, their crops and like everything so they can, they can make money, their crops are healthy, their families can eat, you know, they, whatever. And so it was just interesting to, to look at it differently. You know, we're like, man, our trip's being messed up. And they're all like, dancing in the streets, you know, being like, God loves us. He's blessing us. And, and so I thought about that today. At first, I was like, you know what? That front's going to come through just in time to keep people from coming to church, and that's going to make me mad. And uh, I was like, well, maybe I just need to be Jewish for a little while and be like, look at the blessings that God has brought us um, in great mass quantities all at once. And, um, and so this, this whole week has been, it's been, uh, like, personally, just, just very, very different. And I think there's something to be said for us like intentionally focusing on these things. And I'm so grateful for a church calendar that brings you know, consistently these things in front of us. And so you, know, you go from Friday, which is all about the suffering of Christ, and then you go to Sunday, it's all about the resurrection of Christ. And I think for so long, you know, I thought, like, that's really, that's awesome. Um, you know, Friday was a downer, and Sunday was like really, and I was like, okay, everything's going to be okay. Okay, good, you know. And it just was a long time before I really, like, began to recognize, like, how the entire, the events of the entire week and the weekend impact my everyday life, you know, in the middle of June. You know, it's kind of like when you begin to recognize that the events of Christmas impact every day of your year. And so it's kind of tragic that we only talk about you know, the incarnation of, of Christ and all that kind of stuff only, you know, for a couple of weeks out of the year. And so we have to think about, okay, so Jesus is living. What does that, what does that mean for us? Not in a self-centered way, because he could be living and it not impact us, and it would be just as amazing, and just as, he would be just as worthy. And so I don't want us to get so self-absorbed that the only reason we celebrate is because of all he's done for us. And so Paul, he's writing this letter to these Christians, and he's telling them, all right, these are the things I'm praying for you. These are the things I want you to be aware of, to gain a, to gain a sense of, to really um, see how these things impact you. And so let's, let's just see what this has to do with it. So after a week of looking forward to being here tonight, let's see what this has to do. Let's look at verse 15. It says, for this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, let's hold it right there. This is what he's praying for him. 
that uh, 17 again, that God would give him a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? So he's praying that they would know the Lord. Just to kind of make it really simple. I want to make sure, I want you to know the Lord. Now, we talk about that a lot. Let's really, let's, let's not skip over that too quickly. That knowing God is the most important thing for us. So does your, does your life look like that? I don't ask that in a condemning kind of way. It's a, it's a challenge to all of us. Is my life, I mean, is, is the quest of my life, the glory of God by me, through me knowing him more intimately? And that's, that's why we study the scriptures, right? Because the scriptures reveal the things about the God that we serve and that we love and that we sing to. That's, that's why, why we do that. That's why life is so fulfilling and meaningful when we, when, when we are pursuing him and we're wanting to know him more and when we read the word and we start to see his heart and his character. And it's also why life seems so empty and just such a drag in the times when we're not seeking him. And you can pretty much look at your life and uh, you can look, at, look at how you're doing in life and then at the same time look at how much you are seeking to know him more. Those things are always going to be connected. I'm not saying like, okay, the key to a happy life is just to know God more. Okay, well, all right. Don't start on the I want a happy life so I know him more part. You have to start on the other side and say, I want to know him more. And however that trickles down into the rest of my life, you know, that's a gift. And what this verse is saying is that, that God will give him a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him then you're not going to know him apart from his spirit making it happen. Okay? So, great foundational idea. Knowing God is, is the key, is the goal. And he's the one that initiates that, and he's the one that makes that happen. Look at the next thing. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. And we're going to continue on that in a second. Look at that. Look at that in verse 18. So he's praying that you know him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Did you notice your heart had eyes? Never knew that. Pretty sure I took biology in school and saw the, like that we had like the plastic dummy where you could take all the organs out. How creepy that was. Just us? Okay. Uh, all right. Anyway, um, your, eye, your heart has eyes. All right. Not literal eyes. This is um, obviously quite figurative. Um, you, you, when it talks about eyes and the eyes of your heart, this is a, a Jewish concept that is kind of like seeping through here in, in scriptures for us. So our, our hearts are the key. Our hearts, the uh, Bible talk, says our hearts are the wellspring of life. So that's why we have to guard our hearts. It's a, it's a doorway. It's... it's um, everything about us, you know, everything has to have an entry point, and that is the entry point is our, is our, our hearts. And so if you think about your heart and, you know, your, your inner being as a doorway, and obviously um, that's the way that God's got to get in there, right? And so he's praying that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, would be opened. 
So he wants, so he's, he's praying that they know him, okay, relationship, and that the eyes of their heart would be opened and would be enlightened. So the things he's praying are, are, are pretty deep. He's praying that God does something radical on the, on the inside. And I think that's one of the, one of the things about um, what we celebrate at Easter that, that is just the most remarkable thing to me. Is that we have like this timeline of events and all these things that, that went on and, and go on and stuff like that. But all these things that happened on the, on the outside, there are deeper realities that are happening on the inside the whole time. That when Jesus is on the cross, and like you watch, say, the, so you watch the Passion of the Christ, and, and, and you watch movies like that, and you're, you, you see the brutality and all the blood and all the pain, you're thinking that must have hurt. But there was so much more going on beneath the surface that we don't see. There are things going on in the spirit of Jesus as he's, for the first time he's got sin on him, never had sin on him before. And he's for the first time separated from the Father because of that sin. Never been separated before. There's so much more going on. And so as we celebrate Easter and we have all these things going on, um, there's something that God's trying to do on the inside of us. Okay, so knowing him more, and that happens when something happens on the inside of us. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Look at the next part. Okay, so your hearts have been enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay, we'll stop right there. So these are the three things that he's praying, okay? He wants them to know him more and that their hearts would be enlightened so that they would know these three things. The hope to which he's called you, the glorious riches uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That's the, that's the, the core of what he's praying. And he knows that these things are not going to be understood unless their hearts, the eyes of their hearts are open and, and unless they know the character and the goodness of God. Now, if you are here and um, you are a regular attender here at the ring, um, or if you are a regular church attender or whatever, the tragedy of things like Christmas and Easter and Easter Sunday and Good Friday and those kind of things is that we tend to think that we've heard everything before. This is a prayer that continues on, okay? So if you have, have had a relationship with God, if you've known him and the eyes of your heart have been enlightened for some time, um, that does not mean that you just check out at this point. That you're like, oh, okay, well, I already know that stuff. I know about the hope. And I know about the, his, his inheritance in us, and I know about the power that's at work in my life. That continues to go forward. This is a prayer he's praying for people who have a relationship with God already. This is the continuing growth and the things we continue to say, God, I want to understand what this means more and more and more and more. Now, if you are not a regular part of this church or another church or whatever, then maybe this is something that God brought you here tonight to hear. All right, now, I'm a big believer, and we here at this church are big believer. We're not going to manipulate anything. We're not going to create this emotional moment. We're not going to have a flood down the aisle, you know, fill out decision card. We're not going to do that. 
Because I believe that that what God has done speaks for itself. And so I believe he brought you here to hear it, and then the ball is in your court, and you deal with him. If you want to talk to me or any of our, our elders or our staff afterwards about it, let, let's talk about it. Let's, let's pray together. Let's see what God is doing. But just so you know, if you're here for the first time, that's not where we're going, okay? Um, I want to look at these three things really, really quickly to make sure that, um, that we understand what he's praying. All right, look at the first one. The hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. The fact that your past and your present and your future have all been taken care of. That when Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were forgiven every single one of them. That no matter how dark your past is or things that you're ashamed of um, or whatever, that all of that stuff was placed on him and the wrath of God, okay, God having to eliminate sin because he's holy and just, was poured out onto him on your behalf as your substitute. Just like they used to have the substitute lamb, then it became the substitute lamb, Jesus. I almost said substitute Jesus, but then that would be bad. Uh, poured onto him. When he said it is finished, that applies to everything that's ever ha- happened to you. Everything that you've ever done, every time that you've ever been wronged, every bit of injustice that you've taken part in or you have accepted around you, on and on and on and on. Every sin that um, you are involved in at the moment, every sin that's going to happen in the future, all of that stuff, the price to be paid for all those things put onto him. When he said it is finished, it was finished. And when Jesus raised him from the dead, that is a message not only to the world that he has victory, but that is a message to every life that's in this room. It says, it's done. Don't hang on to that stuff. Don't walk around acting like Jesus never died. Live a free life. The hope to which he has called you. Not only about forgiveness. I mean, we're talking like you look way down your future. The fact that that he will never leave you or forsake you. Now that you've been rejoined to him, you're never going to, there's nothing that's going to happen in your life where he's going to just totally just peace out on you. The fact that Jesus went ahead to prepare a place for you that, that your physical death here is pretty much irrelevant. That when you look at the pattern of Jesus' life, that he, he died, and when he, when he rose again, it wasn't like every other resurrection. His, his like, there was a, you see all these stories, and like they, they're like, we think it's Jesus, but he kind of doesn't look the same. And the reason he didn't look the same is because he had this glorified body, which sounds kind of weird. You have, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, Lazarus was dead, Jesus raised him up, then Lazarus grew old and eventually died. Jesus, never going to grow old. Never. So here's the, the pattern for your life and for my life. We live life, and at some point, every single one of us is going to die. But the end of that biological life is going to be sad. It's going to be maybe sometimes tragic, maybe sometimes unexpected. 
Um, and maybe some of us will be blessed to live well into our years. But you know what? It only has so much value. The hope to which he has called us is the fact that we can die in peace. And our families can say, man, we're sure going to miss him or her. But they've gone on to something greater. And that's what he's praying for him. He's like, look, he's like, I want you to value biological life, um, but I want it to have the proper amount of weight. The hope that he's called you, it has to do with forgiveness, but also has to do with your present life. The fact that he's going to shape you and mold you, and he's going to take those habits you want to get rid of, and he's going to eventually like work those things out, and he's going to refine you and transform you, and eventually your life is going to look a whole lot like Jesus' life if we continue to, to pray and to be disciplined. And that's what he wants this church to understand, and that's what I believe God wants us to understand, to know him more and for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened so that we can begin to say, like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm, there's this great hope that he has called me to, and I'm living in this really shallow hope. I want to deepen that. your past, your present, your future, taken care of. Because Jesus said it was finished, and God the Father raised him from the dead. That's how you know. Next thing. Verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. His glorious inheritance in the saints. It's basically saying that um, God is going to inherit us like we understand inheritance. So, at some point, parents die and they leave their earthly possessions to their kids. Money, houses, cars, you know, years and years worth of tax files in a box. I mean, like everything. The good, the bad, whatever. You, you get it. You've got to do something with it. And some people, um, honestly, this sounds really terrible, some people are looking forward to that inheritance because their parents have done very well in acquiring earthly stuff. What this is saying is that God's inheritance, in a sense, is you and me. Now, I love you guys. Um, and... I know my own life, and I don't know that all of us together are the greatest inheritance ever. I know that I definitely um, am the, like a pretty weak link in that inheritance chain. And so we look around and be like, okay, I don't know why God would be that fired up about inheriting all of us. And so when you're talking about God's inheritance, you're talking about for eternity, God has to put up with us. But this says the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Riches, glorious, describes us. God's view of us. And here's basically, I, I think what this boils down to, God thinks that you're awesome. He looks at us as his inheritance. 
says, that's, that's what I want. I want to enjoy them forever. You can take the money, you can take the cards, you can take the whatever, all that stuff is complete junk. I want the people. That's what he's praying for this church. You need to understand your value in the eyes of God. And you know what's so, so tragic? Is how many people will never step foot in a church, will never crack open a Bible, will never give one second of, of any sort of time to hearing about Jesus because the church has conveyed the exact opposite message. We've taken entire um, races or people groups or religious um, preferences or um, lifestyle choices or however you want to look at it, and over the years, we've just continued to make people the devil. We've said, you're the reason why our society is going down. You're the reason why God's favor is being taken off of America. I sat in a seminary chapel service, and I'm pretty sure it was the last one I went to. And I heard a top dog with the Southern Baptist Convention on the Religious Liberties and Ethics Committee, which is basically, it sounds really lame, but anytime like some issue pops up and they want to know what Southern Baptists think about it, they call this guy. So he gets to speak for everybody who's a Southern Baptist. And this guy stood in the chapel, and he basically said that the reason why our culture is the way it is is because of divorce. He completely demonized and made that like the absolute worst thing ever. And that's why, you know, when it, uh, and I, oh, not happy. And I think we've done that. I think we've said if, um, if you're a homosexual, you are the problem. I think we've said if you have um, some sort of substance abuse addiction, you are the problem. I think we said if you are um, if you are of another faith or or sometimes even another denomination, we said you are the problem. You are the problem. You are the problem. But here's the truth of the word: is that God says, "Glorious riches of my inheritance in the saints." He says, "Let me take your life. Let me radically transform it. Let me save you. Let me give you hope." And let me show you how important you are to me. That's good news. That is what needs to be communicated through our lives. That's why he's praying that they would know the character of God and that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened in part so they would see how valuable not only they are to God, but how God wants to make everybody a saint because they're that important to him. No one should be left out. Nobody. Hear that. Embrace that. And see how that fits into your life. Look at the next part. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You fill out a prayer request card tonight, um, back there at that table. At the top of it, it says, Jesus Christ has the power to dot, dot, dot. That has become uh, a part of something that is really a defining idea for us. One that we, at the ring, here both embrace and we seek to understand more at the same time. That Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life, any situation, any Anything that you want to be changed to look more like him, he's got the power to be able to change it. And so that's why, what better to put on a prayer request card? Jesus Christ has the power to dot, 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 and you just fill in the rest. Now, I think, I think we don't really understand what that means, and I think that's okay. I think God wants to teach us what that means by us stepping obediently into stuff, by, by saying, I believe that Jesus Christ has the power to fix my marriage or fix my parents' marriage or free me from this addiction or free my coworker from this addiction or, um, I mean, you name it, work, I mean, financial stuff, you know, whatever. We, one night we prayed for a guy who had maxed out a $1 million life insurance policy and they were like, look, it's getting to the, to the limit and we're going to drop you and nobody's going to take you. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we prayed that God would work out some miracle. And so God just hacked in the computer and changed it to $2 million. Because they called and they were like, yeah, we're calling about this to see when the cutoff date is. And they're like, uh, you still have like a million dollars to go. Jesus Christ has the power to do the craziest stuff ever. Now, here's, here is, like he goes on and he explains what that power looks like. Look at the next couple of verses. And this, this will just, it's going to blow your mind. So just be ready. Hang on. The, verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Okay. Or in other words, um, like this is an example of that power at work. Okay. That's what according to kind of means. Um, here's an example of what God can do with his incredible power. Okay? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that comes toward you. What's, what, what's more permanent than death? There's nothing. And Jesus' resurrection wasn't like Lazarus or when Elijah did it or when Elisha did it or when the, the people, when Jesus died, did you know that like other people who were already dead just raised from the dead all of a sudden? I read that verse for the first time the other day. No idea. Can you imagine? Like just like busting through the grave. Like what just happened? Because I just woke up. But it wasn't like everything else. So the power that raised Jesus from the dead in a new way where he will never die um, that power is toward you. So when you pray, Jesus, I, want, I believe you have the power to do this in my life. We're not talking about like power, like bench press 400 pounds power, or like cross your fingers and hope it might happen power. We're talking about like raise from the dead to never die again power. Craziness. That's crazy. But then it's not just that. 
verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So he raised him from the dead, and then he gets to sit at the right hand, which is the place of honor. So he places him at his right hand. Okay, that's some power, right? Um, Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. He put Jesus over everything. Rule, authority, power, dominion. What else? I mean, what else is there? The most powerful things you can possibly think of, he put Jesus over that. You think a nuclear bomb is powerful? Jesus is over that. You think that tsunami that, that hit a couple years ago and how much destruction it had, how much... We've seen the destruction of water. Jesus is over that. This week, tornadoes went through Nashville. Jesus is over that. There's not a, not a thing we can think of Jesus is not over. Sin, he's over it. He killed it. Death, he's over it. He killed death, which is weird. Um, he's over everything. Then it says, and above every name that is named. No one is more powerful. You can't pick a name that Jesus is not over. And not only now, not only in this age, but also in the ones to come. So the most powerful people that have ever lived, over them. We could sit here all night and try to speculate and name things. There's not a single thing we could name, not a single force that's out there that Jesus has not been placed over. Then, as if that's not enough, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's over everything, and he's the head of every church. Resurrection from the dead, exaltation above every force, every power, every everything, every name that's ever going to happen, and overseeing every church that's ever going to exist, All that power goes back to verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That power applied in your life. So if if God can do all that stuff, you think he can't help you get over your addictions on the internet? Hmm? You think he can't bring life back into your marriage? You know, it, when you look at it in those terms, it seems so silly they would ever doubt that God is not going to do something or they can't do something. You think God can't take someone who's addicted to alcohol and redeem that and completely change that? I mean, you know why he can? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is applied in your life and toward your life. And that victory banner that we wave and that God just flaunts everywhere of look at the victory that has been won and the thing that we celebrate, that is proof every single day to you and me as we walk through life. That is the hope that he's called us to, past, present, and future taken care of. That is 
the value that God places on our lives in every life that we come in contact with. And that is the power that is applied to us and in our lives. Amazing. Now, do you, do you want to dwell on those things more deeply? I, I do. I can see why Paul was like, these are the things I'm praying for you. You need to know him more, and the eyes of your heart have got to be enlightened so that you understand these incredible truths because they will change your life. And that's what God's all about. Now, the band's going to come up. You guys come on up. And this is kind of how, how we do things. Like I said, we don't have an invitation. We don't have a, you know, whatever, altar call time or whatever. We believe that this is no accident, that us being here tonight is completely on purpose. And with that in mind, we like to take some time before the lights come back up and we all scatter out and go different places. Say, okay, God, why, why am I here tonight? Was it for a song? Was it for a prayer? Was it for a hug? Was it for a new relationship? Was it for one of the verses? Was it from all, you know, whatever. We take time to ask the Lord to show us what that's for. And we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to sing some more songs. This first song is, like, is really focused. And then we're just going to kind of kick it back up. Because the things that we've been talking about, they need to excite us. sing a little bit and I'll come back up we'll sing some more let's pray God we thank you for bringing us into this place tonight pray that your spirit will help us to know you more that you will open the eyes of our hearts Teach us about hope. Teach us about value. Teach us about power. And how your victory on the cross and the resurrection are the keys to our lives looking the way that we want them to look, more importantly, the way that you want them to look, ways that honor and glorify you. So God, speak to us now in these moments.